Welcome to the Expert Ownership Podcast, where we launch faith-filled entrepreneurs into greater freedom and success. But you know what? It's more than that. We want to help you thrive in the midst of today's cancel culture. Our goal is to raise up workplace warriors who will stand for what they believe in, whatever the cost. You can find out more by visiting expertownership.com. But without further ado, here we go. So today we're talking about the six signs of a good leader, and we're going to pull this out of the book of Joshua chapter eight. So we are talking to faith-filled entrepreneurs, and as such, we always tell our entrepreneurial friends, listen, you got to get in the Bible every single day. You know, the Bible is the, the absolute best business manual there is. It's the only book you can read where the author is present with you. Yeah. And, uh, and remember that author, God, is your business partner. He's the majority owner. He simply made you managing partner. So do a good job. Now you need to listen to him. So we want to look at leadership and six signs that we learned from Joshua and what he did when he led the children of Israel into the promised land for the second victory. And we're, we're going to dive into that in a second. But leadership, what is leadership, David? How do we define it? It's the, the abil- ability. The ability to create an appetite in others. And others. Where do we get that from? Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. When we were kids, our dad, we would always see him uh, praying and reading the Bible. And he was even jogging. I remember that. Um, and, and, and so in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, it says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. Now, the Hebrew word for train up, many of you have heard us say this before. It means to touch the palate of or to cultivate a taste for. So in the ancient times, uh, Hebrew mothers and midwives, uh, they didn't have Gerber baby food or any of those things. And so as, the, as their infants would be weaned, they would need to give them food, but they couldn't give them solid food. So they would take a carrot or a celery or whatever, and they would chew it up very fine into a softer morsel and then take a little piece of it out, put it on the tip of their tongue, and they would touch the palate of their infant. And that would engage the salivary glands, which would then allow that child to be nourished by that food. That's the word that Solomon used in Proverbs 22.6. In other words, touch the palate of your children. Yes. So when we were kids, our dad touched our palate. We would see him reading the Bible. Then we would listen to him do an interview, or we would watch him speak to people or even preach from the stage. Well, he was never on stage. Preach, preach from his little uh, music stand yeah. uh, at the local YMCA to, to 65 people. <laughs> but anyway, but but we saw... That that was what it took, and so he was touching our palate with a desire for the Word of God, and and so we have to ask ourselves, as leaders, we are appetite creators. The question is, what kind of appetites are you creating in those that follow you? It's humbling when you think about that with your kids, but the same is true with your employees. The same is true with your vendors, and and as a faith-filled entrepreneur, your leadership doesn't just extend to your employees. It extends to your customers and your clients and the vendors and the people that you buy from, the people that you interact with on a daily basis. That's where your leadership extends to. Therefore, we need to be seriously proactive about the type of leaders that we want to be. That's what brings us to the book of Joshua. So now let me give you a little bit of a backstory because you're going to like this. We're going to see six things that Joshua did that revealed that he was a good leader, and we can apply these uh, these six things into our own lives and into our businesses today. So God told the Israelites to march up and take the promised land, okay? Now remember, it was their land 450 years prior when God had told Abram, hey, you leave the place where you are and go to this land that I will show you. And so Abraham, he ended up doing that. So he finds himself in Canaan, 
And of course, as we know, he doesn't stay there. He ends up having Isaac and Isaac has Jacob and Jacob has 12 sons and they end up going to about 70 people and they ultimately end up in Egypt for 400 plus years in slavery. Okay. So they, in, in Egypt, they end up 2 million plus and it was time for Moses to lead them back into the land that was theirs, their original land grant. So the Israelites, listen guys, have the, the, uh, What's the word I'm looking? Original at? deed. Yeah, like it's it's their territory. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. everybody's fighting over it now, and I can't screaming about indigenous people. It's their land. Well, it's the Israelites' land. Nothing. There is no land grant that they goes are, back further than this. They are the indigenous. Okay, so now the children of Israelite, the, the children of Israel are coming up out of Egypt. They go into the promised land after 40 years in the wilderness, and under the command of Joshua, they take Jericho. Okay, that was their first military victory. Now, that happened miraculously. There was no strategy involved. God simply told them, march around it, sing, worship, praise me, and watch what I do. Boom, miracle. Now, it would be very easy for the for the leader to sit back and say, okay, every other Let's do that victory again. is going to be done like this. And But God's like, nope, I had to do something miraculously at the beginning of the season, this new season for you guys, which was going to be a season of battle, God had to do something miraculous, and we as leaders are not supposed to rely on the miraculous. We're supposed to rely on faithfulness. And then God brings in the miraculous as he sees fit. Okay, so now they were in Jericho. One of the things about Jericho was God said, I don't want anybody to touch the plunder. So I don't want you to take anything. Dedicate it all to the Lord. Well, that's the first fruit. Yeah, so they got to the next city, which was Ai. Now, this was a tiny little town to a point where Joshua only sent 3,000 troops. And the next thing you know, they got their butts smacked. Joshua was heartbroken. He's like, wait a second. We went in the promised land. We obeyed you. We've done everything. But now here we are. We're losing a battle. And what they had to dis- what they discovered was is there was a dude in the camp. His name was Achan. He had stole some- stolen some plunder from Jericho, did something that he shouldn't have done. And so they had to deal with him. And once they dealt with him, then it was time to go in and take AI once and for all. Joshua 8 tells us the story, and what we're going to see here are the six things that Joshua did. Okay, now real quick in verse 1, David, read verse 1 of Joshua 8. All right, English Standard Version. And the Lord said to Joshua, do not fear and do not be dismayed. Now, why would he say that? Why would he say that? Because he's about to fight. Well, it's not just he's going to fight. It's because he was triggered. The last time God said go to AI, they did it. And what happened? They lost. Yeah. Now God's saying, go to AI now. And Joshua's like, oh, they just, they just They just beat us down. Did anybody else sin that I don't know about? The last time we had tr- some of my troops died. It's like, I don't, I don't want to do this. Well, he, you know, listen, don't allow the triggers that you experience to keep you from walking in obedience to the Lord. Yeah, the last time I talked to that person, they got so upset. They did it. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Walk in obedience to the Lord. Don't rely on your triggers. You can pay attention to them, but God is telling you the same thing you told Joshua. Don't be afraid, okay? Listen, this time, when before Joshua went into AI, this time he actually brought 30,000 troops, and he developed a strategy. Okay, so do you want me to read the rest of the verse? Because I only got to the first part. That's I said, all I want. Do not fear and be dismayed. Yeah, go ahead. You can if you want. I'm not diving into it any deeper because we're going to jump into verse 9 in a second. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, so now this time Joshua, he's not saying, okay, God, do something miraculous like you did in Jericho. We're going to march around Ai and expect you to bring the walls down. Nope, that's not what happened. Joshua comes up with a strategy. He's going to use that 
that uh, defeat that they had as a decoy, and they're going to set an ambush, and they're going to flank the city. So they send out this this small little smattering of, of troops. The people at AI are like, yeah, we're going to take them down, right? And and But Joshua had flanked the, the city of AI with the rest of the troops, and so that's how they ultimately took the city. But now before we talk about them taking the city, let's jump into verse 9 because they're just about to mount the attack. Okay, and this is where we find the six things that Joshua did to lead them to victory, which are six things that we can do. And then, uh, so David, verse nine. All right, so Joshua sent them out, and they went to the place of ambush and lay between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night among the people. Number one, he was with his people. Number one is you need to be with your people. Don't elevate yourself to a position where you stand out from them simply because you're the leader. You know, it's interesting that that Judas, when he betrayed Jesus, he told the religious leaders, he said, the one that I kiss, he's the one. Yep. Now, it's interesting. He didn't say the one sitting up on his uh, velvet chair. Yeah, the, perched up there. The, the one with the best clothes. The, the guy one, in the corner office. Yeah, the one sitting by himself, you know, with everybody sitting around him, right? He didn't say any of that. It was like Jesus was, it's almost like, I, so for some reason, I don't know why this just image pops in my head. It's like, you know, the 50s guys where they're wearing their Levi's, the white t-shirts and the worker boots. It's like, yeah. he's one of them. It's like, you you can't even tell the difference between him and the others because he is one of them. He's a trench digger. He's not one of those persons sitting up on his perch. Yes. So, so Judas says, hey, I'm going to kiss the dude and then you'll recognize him. Yes. So that's what Joshua did. It said Joshua was with his people. He was among his people. He didn't elevate himself and walk around with his security entourage. He was among his people. Okay, so that's the first thing. No. Can, I, can I say one thing yeah. real quick? Uh, one of the things I love about Pastor Jay Stewart uh, at the Refuge Church in Charlotte is, well, it's Kannapolis technically, but that's yeah. just North Charlotte. Um, as big as that church is, you will always see him after every sermon. He goes out into the foyer and meets everybody, and yeah. he wants to talk to everyone. He will literally stay there until the last person. I mean, I just love because I have gone to a lot of large churches, yeah. and you cannot get many of those pastors. And if you do, you got to go through some security detail. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I just love, I, he's like one of us. It's like he's out there. I just love that. It's very refreshing to see pastors do that. Jay also doesn't have any cartilage in one of his knees, and okay. when he walks out there, I can tell. Stop. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's number one. He was with his people. Number two, David, verse 13. All right, I got to find it. You didn't tell me I was going to Dude, I told you, you're going to be reading. You're my Bible reader. Shush. All right, here we go. Uh, So they stationed the forces, the main encampment that was north of the city, and its rear guard was west of the city. But Joshua spent that night in the valley. So he went into the valley with them. That's number two. If things were going to go bad with the people, he'd be right there with them. Having a leader in the valley, it's extremely important, right? Now, listen, when, when I talk about this, what I'm talking about is empathy, See, sympathy sees a drowning person and throws them a life vest. Empathy jumps into the water with them. Suffering together draws you together. So an empathetic leader is a strong leader. So Joshua wasn't spending the night on the top of the mountain in the tent to stay away from the from the from the you know the stuff that could happen. He was actually in the valley with them. You know, it's interesting, and and, and it really does go to being uh, what do real leaders do? Like a real leader is a shepherd. In the Bible, we see shepherds, right? They're so faithful, but. I think I can make it even more personal for all of us as parents. 
So my wife and I, we had uh, we did a cruise with our kids right after Christmas. That's like, some serious suffering. Well, but no, it was amazing because it was one of the only times we could actually get my adult children back. And so anyway, yeah. um, but I was standing on the edge of the boat at the very back out in the deep water watching the boat. And I was thinking, and I'm sure other people think this, what would it be like if my youngest boy fell off this daggum boat? What would I do? And I thought to myself, because there was literally a, a big old life preserver right there. And I thought, okay, well, I could, th- no, man, there is no way. If he went off, I would literally be off right behind yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. So, You'd so, go in there too. Exactly, because that's what a parent, like, I mean, and then then I'm in the water, but at least I'm in the water with him, and I'm screaming up and yelling for them to throw me a life preserver. I think I would probably try to grab the life preserver and jump off. I wouldn't just throw it at him. I would grab the life preserver and jump in the water with him. But that's really what Josh, we're seeing here with Joshua is that's what a father's heart does. Yeah. That's what a mother's heart does. And so if you really want to be a good leader, you're in the valley. Yeah, and that's the sign. You know, we're talking six signs of a good leader. The first is that you're you're among your people and you want to be among your people. You don't want to be the one that, that has to stand out and that everybody knows he's the leader. No, no, no. The best leaders are reluctant leaders anyway. If somebody signs up for the job, then choose somebody else. But so that's the the best leaders. And then the second is they 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 choose to suffer with the people. If it's going to be hard for you, it's going to be hard for me. Okay. Now, number three, David, verse 18, I want you to read 18a, just the first part of 18. Then the Lord said to Joshua. Oh, perfect. That's exactly where we're going. Because the third sign of a good leader was that he listened for God. Okay. He paid attention to God's voice. Listening prayer in your business, in the organization that you run is the best thing that you could ever do. David and I incorporated that right from the jump. It's like, God, okay, we're partnering with you and we want to hear you. So we would spend time in listening prayer. And I'm just telling you the downloads that God gave us about certain clients or customers or how we could get more business or whatever it was. And then spending time in scripture, we're listening to the Lord through scripture and the Lord just spoke to us. So he listened for the voice, for the voice of God. One of our buddies, Todd Foster, who was our youth pastor when we were little kids. Um, and uh, he, he's really helped Jason and I early on in our lives. Anyway, he just sent me a text and I sent it to my group chat and my family. And, and he said this, he said, silence is an invitation to draw closer. God doesn't scream or shout to me. He whispers. When God appears silent or distant, he's inviting me to draw near, to sit still, move closer, lean in, stop talking, slow down, be attentive. He has something beautiful and loving to say to me. Yeah. That's that's how we hear the Lord. Like, I mean, there are many times where it's like, man, I just haven't heard the Lord. Well, it's like, you know, when I get in the car, there's a podcast going. When I get home, there's other stuff going on. You know, you're on social media. You're doing all the stuff of the work, whatever it is that you've got to do. But you have to get alone so that the Lord can speak to you. That's what Oswald Chambers tells you. David and I read Oswald Chambers every single day. At least I do. I've been doing it since Jerry Falwell told me that he did it. And uh, But Oswald Chambers, his whole thing is he said one of the best things in your Christian life is when God blesses you with silence. He said that's a sign that he's drawing you close. Okay, but because of that, you need to be a listener for God. That's the third sign of a good leader, is that he listened for God. David, finish the verse. Okay, I'll, I'll read the whole verse so it's in context. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Stretch out the javelin that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. Okay, next verse. And Joshua stretched out the javelin that was in his hand toward the city. Boom, right there, number four. He obeyed God. He didn't just listen, he obeyed 
So when you go to God in listening prayer, when you go to God and you want something or whatever, you have to be fully surrendered to obeying what he shows you and what he says to you before he speaks to you. Understanding is not what leads to you having a revelation of what God wants you to do, right? What what gives you greater understanding is surrender. Obedience. Right? So you've got to be surrendered to obey before God tells you the thing that he wants you to do. That was actually all of verse 18. I, I cut it off in the middle, and you said next verse, but that was the rest of 18. Okay, so yeah. So yes, that's I was right. wondering Josh, why you stopped. Joshua stretched out the javelin. He did exactly what God told him. He was obedient. So he listened for God. That's sign three. Sign four. He obeyed what God told him to do. Okay, and then let's go to uh, five. Number five, David, verse 30. Man, you got to tell me these things. Okay, now, I, I got it now. It's, it's here. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Okay, just after the victory. So they they ended up winning. They ended up defeating Ai, and it was a great victory. Joshua's strategy led them, and they did really well. They used that ambush, and they took Ai. And the very first thing that he did upon their victory is he built an altar. As a leader, he showed everybody how to worship God. He had an attitude, attitude of reverence to God, a heart of worship, See, the way that you do business should point people to God. The way you do business. The way you run your organization should point people to God. They should say, man, I love doing business with these people. Well, I wonder what makes them tick. That's what building an altar looks like. It's, it's. Uh, we just did, a, um, my, my wife and I, this is Jason, my wife and I just did a marriage intensive with Kyle and Becca Quill, and they own a really awesome um HVAC company dipping into electric, going to be opening up plumbing as well. And they're scaling like crazy and they're doing really well. They pray every single day. Like they get their leaders together and then they do these fun little meetings in the morning that are five minute check-ins and all of this kind of stuff. But everybody there knows what they stand for. It's written on the walls that they are a God-centered company. That's what that's what having an altar of worship looks like in your heart. It's letting people see you worship. Right now, we're not sitting here trying to do our secret acts of piety in front of people. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That was an announcement. As for me and my business, we will serve the Lord. That's an announcement. Okay? So that was what Joshua did. Right after the victory, he builds an altar. That was in front of everybody. Okay? He's public. He wasn't a private Christian or like the secret agent. We see where, even in the culture of America today, we see where secret agent Christianity has gotten us. Yeah. So, I mean, so many people can come out and speak their beliefs. So many people can be talking about their beliefs, even during voting season. But then all of a sudden, Christians are supposed to park their beliefs. Well, you can't bring that to the ballot box. You don't want to legislate morality. This is nonsense. Yeah. And it's the same way in business. Man, you got to be vocal and let people know who you are. Build an altar. And it was there for everybody to see. Everybody. Everybody see. Everybody can see it. Now, that's that's uh, trait number five. Trait number six, and I don't want to freak you out, David, but okay, you're going to have to go to verse 34. Okay. David's all freaked out. No, oh, my gosh, I have it's, to read another it, no, verse. No, it's just you, you give Jeez. me these big chunk. Like, I have to flip the end of my Bible and look yeah, around. Yeah, well, just scroll. And man. I don't have my Use eyes. your two fingers. My eyes aren't the same as they used to be. I literally can't even see 34. I see 33, and I see 35. Where There's no verse 34? No, there is a 34, but I just can't find it. I'm, there, I found it. You I found are it. struggling. Okay. I'm on it. Shush. Here we go. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. Right there. Boom. He read the word to his people. He elevated God's word above all and made sure that everybody else heard it. Right? Specifically, 
he talked about the blessings and curses of Deuteronomy chapter 28. Okay, so here he was leading, leading. we could say leading an organization, but he's leading all these people. He builds this altar, which everybody knows that he has a heart of reverence to God. Then he elevates God's word, and he specifically talks Deuteronomy 28. Now, that's not a real popular chapter. Yeah. You know, there's significance to Deuteronomy chapter well, 28. De- Deuteronomy 28 has been read in Congress. I mean, uh, there, there's the, I don't want to use the word rumor, but history says that President Washington actually had the Bible opened up to Deuteronomy 28 at his inauguration, but I believe it was a passage in Psalms. But either way, Deuteronomy 28 was read many times in the early founding of America because it's the blessings and the curses, the blessings for obedience and the curse for disobedience. And so this is one of the reasons why we see in God we trust, you know, on our currency, we are one nation under God, is because we were doing our best as a nation to place um, our national, um, we were submitting to God. And, and of course, as a result of that, we were able to get rid of slavery and all those other things when people started to actually act like God does care. And so we've, we've grown a lot as a nation. The problem is, is whenever we remove that. Yeah. And Deuteronomy 28 also doesn't just talk about the blessings, which we've been incredibly blessed in this country, but it also talks about the curses. Yeah. Whenever you turn your back on God, and so a lot of the stuff we're seeing in our streets today is a direct result of our abandonment. Of but God. that's what good parents do. They don't just talk about the blessings. They talk about, hey, but if you if you go this direction, you cross these boundaries, you're going to get this punishment, yeah. right? Because you got to teach your kids. Now, those are the six things. He was with his people. Okay, so he was among his people. He was one of them. Number two, he chose to suffer with his people. Number three, he listened for God's voice. Number four, he obeyed what he heard God said, no matter how difficult it was. I mean, God says, stretch a javelin out over the people. And then I can imagine the the human side of Joshua says, what's that going to do? You know, like, what does that do? Maybe he was in the back of the group whenever Moses raised his staff and they crossed the Red Sea. Who knows? But all I know is that you do whatever God tells you to do. You obey it. And then number five, be a worshiper. Build that altar. Make sure people can see it. And then number six, be a person of the word. When you do that, I promise you these six signs will prove that you will be the leader God created you to be. And being a good leader means you will create an appetite in those who follow you. And the people that are around you, you will create an appetite for godliness. Because at the end of the day, you can create an appetite for income. You can create an appetite for fame and all that stuff. No, you don't want to create appetites for that. You want to create appetites to be faithful, faithful with who God made them to be. Yep. So, all right, Jason, own it or loan it. Ready? Yeah. Own it means you'll keep it, you love it, it's good. Loan it, nah, no good. Are yeah, I understand that. Stanley cups, those oh, Stanley mugs. I mean, everybody else wants to own it. I loan it because I don't believe in sitting there and holding something in my hand. Like I, I'm not, I'm, you know, like you go to a game, I'm not going to hold something in my hand. It's just not going to happen. I need a bottle of water. Okay. So you, okay, down. wait, now this, Hey, this gets into the debate because now the Stanley mugs, or they say that the metal is starting to, uh, jack with people, kill people. I don't know if it's killing people, but it's, it's starting to mess up people. But now, I haven't heard that, but the bottles, they're saying that the plastic is killing people. So now really? you've got plastic killing people. Now I the mean, metal's killing everything's people. Everything's killing us. Exactly. So it's like, I think we're just being like ping pong balls. You know, we're just getting batted yeah. back and forth. You can do this now. You can't do this. You, you know, anyway. Just do your best. So I don't know. Rely on I the Lord. Say, I say loan the Stanley. I think, you know. It, I mean, if you're a 14-year-old girl like Lundy, like she she owns that sucker. You know, if you're a mom out there, 
I, I don't know of a grown man that should be holding a Stanley, but <laughs> That's so stupid. All right, guys. Hey, subscribe, rate, and review this. Send it out to some friends. Hopefully you like it. Hey, reach out to us at Benhambrothers.com and let us know. Because our our infamous secretary, Deb, she will make sure we get any comments that you guys want to send our way. And uh, if yeah, we don't cover, we don't look at any comments on social media yeah, or anything like that. So yeah, once we got nailed by HGTV and we had literally thousands and thousands and thousands of those nonsense, we just turned that junk. If off you right are here. offended because you reach out to me and David and you don't hear anything on well, social media, that's what it is. No, that's just, that's <laughs> kind of bad. Like, how do you build a business or how do you build something? Oh, and, not, man. and not pay attention, but that's fine. Whatever. No, we're, I like to talk, not listen. We're, <laughs> you're, you're an idiot. It's what you are. All right, guys. God bless you. Can't wait to see you guys next week. Peace. I've been really, really feeling it. Feeling it. About to move, wash out, let me get it. If you really, really feeling it, put it in your left hand, right hand, throw it up and hit it.